You're listening to Transplaner RPG, an all-transgender, people-of-color-led, dark-fantasy actual play channel set in an original non-colonial, anti-orientalist multiverse. The Chaos Protocol is our second main campaign and stars Valiant Dorian, Kai Kay, and Sam Starr as players, with C. Thomas as the producer and Connie Chong as the game master. Transplaner RPG is sponsored by Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon, because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy failing upward, and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you, Dimitri, and thank you so much for supporting our work. Content warnings for this episode include heights, flying, falling, flirting, romance, References to sexual entanglements, complex and complicated relationships, pollution, environmental collapse, and war. Arc 1, Episode 14, Cries for Luck, from Self-Eulogy of a Martyr by Connie Chong. The Triforodon stables are built into the sides of Ami New Isle itself. They resemble tunnels carved into the face of the rock, so the Reach's Triforodons can comfortably nest, lay eggs, and take care of their young. Large outcroppings of rock provide ample room for the riders of these magnificent creatures to groom and train their companions. And of course, the endless skies beyond the stables are a lovely training pen for them as well. The stables are a brief leaf balloon ride away, courtesy of Majid, who reads a newspaper by the stables' docks while you attend to your business here. Zainan and Singh. As soon as the two of you touch down on one of the stables' various landings, you are greeted by a musky but not unpleasant smell. Three tunnels loom in front of this landing. The first two are sealed by way of a metal portcullis, while the third is wide open. Standing in front of the third tunnel is a magnificent older Triforodon. His tawny feathers, streaked with lines of creamy white and stark black, are starting to gray around a sharpened brown beak. His eyes are bright, bright, dazzling green, like the emerald verdancy a thousand feet below. His wings are folded elegantly behind his muscular back, and the fur of his lion-like body is a rich, deep brown with a paler brown belly. His long-tufted tail is curled regally around his front paws. Abasi, who came with the two of you to the stables using her wings, immediately rushes forward toward this magnificent creature. Squall! The scion throws her arms around her companion's thick, sturdy, maned neck, and though Abasi is not small by any means, with her face buried in Squall's chest fur, she looks rather tiny. Or maybe Squall is just very, very large. The Triforodon clicks his beak together and lowers his head, and then starts licking Abasi's face with a large, pink, rough tongue. Fuck you, Squall! Oh, buddy, I miss you, old guy! And as Abasi reunites with her companion, you see a woman 
in their early 40s, standing off to the side with a belt of gnarly-looking power tools strapped to their waist. They wear dusty, mud-stained trousers tucked into hardy boots, and their hair is a shaggy brown mullet. Her light brown skin is darker around the arms and the clavicle from her farmer's tan, and you know this because she's shirtless, revealing a very muscular chest and a thick, sturdy stomach. And they are just glistening with sweat. Abasi pulls away from Squall and then barrels straight into this woman for a hug of her own, but she pulls away almost instantly, making a face at all the sweat and grime. Castell, were you just mucking the pens? And Castell ignores this question with a small, crooked smile. <laughs> nice to see you too, princess. These your guests? Oh, yeah, that's Zainan, that's Sing. Hey, I'm gonna take Squall for a spin. It's been literally way too long. You guys play nice, okay? And she's immediately on the Triforodon's back. A big gust of wind, they're gone. Just absolutely just gone. Uh, yes, my name is Zainan. It's a pleasure to meet you. This is Sing. Hmm. If I had a hat, I would tip it right back at the two of you. Pleasure. Castella Gilar. I'm the head trainer of the royal stables here. Uh, so these, uh, Triforodons, they a lot of work? <laughs> An impossible amount of work. But it's worth it. I've been, uh, taking care of them since I was a little girl. They're beautiful creatures. Thank you. Would you like to meet one of them? I think we would love that. Uh, yes, we would love that. I'm sorry, Castell, I'm trying to restrain my excitement, but it's, um, not really working. And Sing's literally glowing slightly pink around the edges. Like, she's, like, kind of bouncing on the balls of her feet and looking very eagerly at the two, uh, currently portcullis-locked gates of the tunnels in front of them. Castell lets out that small, crooked smile again, revealing a very sharp canine, and they turn around, using a rag to kind of wick away the sweat around their uh, neck, uh, and they go and start, like, working at a chain at one of the portcullises. As they do, Zainan, are you checking them out? Absolutely, unapologetically. <laughs> As you do that, you feel eyes on the sides of your face, and Sing is looking at you with open curiosity, her head cocked to the side. What? Is that, like, is that your type? You will find that there's a whole variety of beings in the multiverse, and you learn that your type kind of varies. Well, it's just that based on, based on Naeem and Castell and the Admiral, <laughs> and as she says that, you get the sense that you know who maybe saw you that yeah. night. Taking the Admiral to your quarters. Yeah. Yep. It just seems that maybe you have a type for someone who's um, kind of standoffish, but really cool. Isn't that everyone's type? Uh, well, I guess Cove is kind of like that. But I have all kinds of types, I guess, you know? I mean, and I guess speaking of types, um, I mean, Lumira, Lumira is pretty cool. And, and has her standoffish qualities. <laughs> standoffish to me most of the time when she's in a good mood. The smart people tend to be. I find it endearing. You do too, don't you? Like, it's it's nice when they are kind of mean to everyone else, but nice to you. Sometimes it's okay if they're mean to me too. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. Um, <clears throat> I mean, just, um, 
listen, I... Zayden, you... You've been in a lot of, like, relationships before. Uh, I'm just saying that because I, I know you have, yep. I guess. I mean, that's what everyone says at the Syndicate. And just based on what I've seen. And I just figured maybe you would be... You would have some... I guess I'm in kind of a pickle right now. Are you looking to uh, find yourself some healing? Healing? No, no. I mean, I guess I don't think so. I just... The banquet is in a couple of days, and it's like a banquet, capital B, you know? Yeah. Farewell banquet. Obviously, the king's gonna be there. We've got a lot of stuff that we have to do, but it's also kind of an opportunity to, I guess, ask someone to the banquet. Absolutely. You know? And I've never gotten the opportunity to do that before, and I was thinking of maybe asking someone, and I was wondering if maybe you could give me some advice about it. <laughs> Saying you will find that the longer you are on a strike team, the more opportunities present themselves for you to expand your horizons and try new things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think that it would be in your best interest to just be honest. That's how I go about it. Honest. See, Zainan, that's why you're so brave, and I'm... Listen, everyone says I'm the chosen one, and yeah, I am the chosen one, and I'm supposed to be brave like you, and I can be. Like, I, it's it's not scary you're to me brave. to punch some monster in the face or do, you know, no, I don't even mean that to toot my own horn. I just mean I'm not scared of mortal danger and all that stuff because, I mean, I'm the chosen one. I have to, I have to do it, right? I have to win. It's just what I do. But when it comes to, I guess when it comes to, I mean, it's pretty obvious when it comes to Lumi, I just, I'm scared that if I'm honest with her, what if, what if she says, no. What if she doesn't like me the same way? And what if I ruin everything because I like the friendship we have, but if I say that I like her, what if that changes everything? You will find that your vulnerable spots, the places between your armor, it's where your heart is. It's where the rest of you is. The important stuff. You're tough as they come. Doesn't mean you don't have a beaten heart. <laughs> but that's the thing, Zainan. What if she doesn't like my heart? I'm pretty sure there's only one way to find out. I dare you to be brave. <sighs> Zaiden, that's not fair. You know I never turn down a dare. Oh, I know. <sighs> okay, fine, fine. But you know what? I dare you back. To what? <clears throat> and she just kind of nudges you forward as the chains rattle, the portcullis goes up, and Castell leads this beautiful Triforodon out of the tunnel. Uh, this one is a pure white kind of snowy owl, like Triforodon, with these bright crimson eyes that looks completely unblemished, right? They like trot out with this air of like regal pretentiousness almost, with these like bright snowy white talons as well. And then they kind of stop and regard you, Zainan, up and down. And Castell has a hand on this Triforodon's flank and quirks a smile, a crooked smile, in your direction, Zainan. This one's cloudburst, but you don't exactly strike me as the kind of guy that likes to take fancy things for a ride. <laughs> and Zainan starts to walk towards cloudburst and squares up knowing how animals work. And this is probably one of the first times that Singh really gets to see Zainan with an animal. And Zainan approaches this massive creature, his shoulders square and his head held fairly high. 
but still being very clear to keep his eyes just below the gaze of the Triforodon, but then slides towards the side, towards Castell, keeping his eyes right at their level. I'm not here for the beauty pageant. <laughs> well, Cloudburst does like being called a beauty. I suppose she will forgive you for not taking her for a spin because of that appeal to her shallow vanity. And at that, like, Cloudburst lets out a and kind of ruffles her feathers, but it seems to be in good fun. And Castell, like, pats her again, like, Haha, you know I'm just kidding with you, princess. All right, not Cloudburst then. What are you looking for? What's more your speed? This one seems more like, uh, and he nods over his shoulder towards Sing. Specifically, like, looking at her beautiful mane of white hair and everything, yep. the glowing pink, yep, yep. and he's just like, uh-huh, okay, princess, you get this one. And he quirks a big, crooked smile. I find beauty in the more real things. Hmm. Zanin, right? Yes, um. Would you like to help me bring Aurora out? And sing, was it? Why don't you take Cloudburst for a spin? You've ridden before, right? Uh, and Sing looks at you, Zaiden, for if she should lie or not. Uh, and he kind of like gives her a little head shake, like this is this is a very dangerous <laughs> creature. If you no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I I haven't. I was thinking about lying just so I could ride her, but I would be afraid of falling off. I think. <laughs> well, thank you for your honesty, Cloudburst. This one's never ridden before. You're gonna be nice to her, right? Treat her like a little kid. But I, I don't need to be treated like a little kid. Trust me, on Cloudburst, you do. You have my Cloudburst. Look at me, eyes here. Hey, hey, you're gonna treat her nice, right? All right, hop on, she's all yours. Yes! And Sing goes over to Cloudburst, like clambers on. Uh, Castell helps put like a saddle on Cloudburst's back. You did notice that Abasi didn't ride Squall with a saddle, but now is putting a saddle on, like clicking it on, putting like on these stirrups and stuff, helps Sing get on, right? All this time while Castell is doing this, she's invited you to help saddle up Cloudburst. And even though the dimensions are slightly larger, there's like some extra stuff that's not there on a horse or a raptor, it's a familiar way of tacking on a steed, I think. And there's a moment where the two of you are doing this together. And I think there's a moment where like Castell's hand brushes against yours, right? But I don't know if either of you acknowledge it necessarily, right? Zaiden is in the zone. He is very suddenly like, oh, I actually know exactly how to pull this. And he's pulling all the right straps and everything and not too tight, especially catching the demeanor of this Triforodon. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, just doesn't avoid her touch. Mm. Mm-hmm. And does not avoid you either. I think a few minutes later, Cloudburst is fully tacked on and Sings holding onto the reins, gives you one last slightly terrified, very exhilarated look. And then uh, Castell pats Cloudburst on the rear and Cloudburst lets out a brr, 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 and two big flaps of the wings goes up with a big gust of dust billowing around the two of you. And Sing lets out a big whoop uh, as Cloudburst starts carrying her around, just flying around this one particular island, never going out of eyesight. Uh, and as Sing goes off, Castell lets out a, <laughs> uh, you know, I never get tired of new riders. 
They're always so funny on the backs of these Forodons. That's, uh, new riders in general, any form. Even out on the sea. Hmm. I take it you're old salt. <laughs> I haven't done these ones, but some other uprights before. Hmm. Well, let me take you over to Aurora. Though, you know, she's been acting up lately. And Castell kind of trails off with a mumble at that as she starts uh, leading you to the first mouse-only gated tunnel. Uh, what, what seems to be the problem? <sighs> it's just, you know, it boggles the mind. The Forodons are refusing to fly over certain parts of the Wild Sea as of late, but it's all random-like. You know, one day a route will be fine, another they'll just refuse to go, point blank. Even Dewdrop. Well, uh, when we were out there, there was a something corrupting some of the creatures. Maybe they have some sort of attunement with that. Corrupting? What do you mean by that? There was a stampede seemed to be triggered by people digging too deep, maybe even past the thrush. These damn calamities. I wouldn't be surprised if it's all related. Well, thankfully, the Forodons are off fine, health-wise, physically, mentally. It's just... They're not scared, you know? They're just, they're refusing an order. And these birds always refuse an order for a good reason. I just don't know what it is. It seems to be related to whatever's going on down there. Hmm. Well, from me to you, you should keep them above the bird and see. Don't let them get too deep down there. Hmm. Yeah, that's what my gut's telling me, too. I mean, deliveries still have to be made, messages still have to be sent, but we'll make do. We'll listen to the birds. You know, these birds, though, I've been training them since they were eggs, since they were hatchlings, to be brave. I once rode Gemini <laughs> through a storm squall the size of one of the islands up here, and they were fine. You know, these birds are trained to be fearless, even in the face of leviathans. So whatever's happening down there has got to be scarier than a leviathan. You see many leviathans? Duh. You know, old wild sailor tales. But my ma swears up and down on her heart that her grandma once heard of a storm leviathan so powerful it could rip up iron roots, the heights of mountains. You know, up by Siren Song. Huh. Storm leviathan. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Don't know what happened to it. Haven't heard of anything since. Well, hopefully whatever's going on with Aurora is just a little fright. Hmm. Hopefully. And Castell leads you deeper into the tunnel. Uh, and now we can like smell the musk fully, right? The hay, bugs, and smaller birds, right? Like just like the smell of like a, a bird's nesting place. And you see Aurora curled up in the back sleeping, a beautiful hawk-like Triforodon with these shimmering iridescent feathers. And uh, Castell kind of leans against the edge of the tunnel and like raps on the rock. Aurora, you feeling up for a spin? And Aurora lets out a I think she's throwing a bit of a fit. I could try to wake her up. You know, uh, Cloudburst is probably going to take your friend Sing for another 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes of a joyride out there. I could wake her up. You could join her or... Uh... And Castell shrugs and gives you a suggestive look. Zynan kind of like takes a moment. He kind of looks himself over, just like, okay, old man, how are you feeling today? <laughs> and uh, kind of nods 
you know, I'd be curious to see the uh, other parts of this stable. We should let her rest. Why, sure. You know, I think I left some interesting books about Triforodons in my quarters. Want to borrow some? Let's check them out. And Castell turns and walks out of the tunnel with you in tow. The Sky Warrior Arena is a vast, deep pit in the center of Aminu Isle. Hundreds of feet across and hundreds of feet deep, this arena is a hole drilled through the bedrock of the isle itself with nothing but endless blue sky and white clouds tumbling past it below. Floating platforms of rock dot this vast expanse with no railings or guardrails to speak of. Tiered landings are carved into the stone walls surrounding this pit like the walls of a stepwell. Doing warm-up stretches on the landings, tumbling in chaotic freefall throughout the pit, and sparring on floating platforms of rock are the best sky warriors of the Raya. Like the wild sailors of the Verdant Sea, these warriors come in every shape, size, and configuration imaginable. And so do their wings. We see long, powerful, eagle-like wings, short, narrow, crow-like wings, thin and long wings like those of a falcon's, and even small, rapid-fire wings like a hummingbird's. Overseeing these training activities is the Sky Warrior's leader. A narrow, muscular woman with broad shoulders and a tapered waist. She wears padded leather armor with feathered pauldrons, and her gauntlets, like Abbasi's, also sprout feathers, though hers are as black as midnight, with razor-sharp talons protruding from the forearm attachments. Sergeant Rafiq's eyes are dark and steady and just barely lined with age. Her hair is cropped in a short, no-nonsense fashion. The lieutenant commander's sharp black eyes roam across the arena as her warriors train. She stands atop one of the steps, hands clasped behind her back, as we now pan across the Sky Warrior arena to find Sayer and Abasi. Sayer is looking at everything and his garb is different. He's now wearing whatever uniform the Sky Warriors here train with obviously several degrees unbuttoned to make room for his tattoo. And as he's peering around looking at all of these top tier warriors, tumble in free fall, spar amongst all these uh, stone uh, panels, he looks at Abasi and just goes, so um, what do you all do for the ones that um, don't have one of them, and he like gestures over to Abasi's gauntlets that help her propel mm. up <laughs> upwards to uh, fight. Abasi laughs and says, "Uh, yeah, they they tend to die pretty fast from falling to their deaths. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, Sayer, we're gonna get you some wings for this training sesh. Now, do you strike yourself as more of the eagle like?" big soaring, you love your thermal columns, or are you more into like maneuverability, dexterity, or are you like kind of like a hummingbird guy? Sayer looks at a pussy when she even suggests the hummingbird thing and just goes, Personally, I think you'd look cute in a pair of those tiny flappers. I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would think that. <laughs> um, and he kind of watches all of the warriors 
that are fighting and sparring. They're sparring with weapons, yes? Some of them are. So a lot of them seem to have similar talon-like claws springing from their gauntlets that they slash with as they dive. It's almost like watching a midair dance. Mm. Like it could be violent, it could be beautiful. It is definitely both. Some of them are slashing with daggers and swords. You see a couple of them with spears thrusting, all very aerodynamic lightweight weapons. You don't see anything like great swords or huge halberds or pikes or anything like that. Sayer looks at all of these warriors tumbling around with their daggers and swords and spears. And he looks down at his moon knives, his crescent blades. And he remembers his small hands receiving them for the first time from a laurel tattooed individual. Their beautiful golden eyes looking to him in approval as he takes these blades for the first time. And he kind of just chuckles. It's like you saw everything. I think I'll go for the the dexterous ones. Something that can help me keep moving. Yeah? Yeah. Excellent. Okay, we're gonna have to talk to the Lieutenant Commander to get a pair because we're usually pretty low on spares, but there might, you know, someone might have missed trading and you know, yeah. we can use theirs. About, about the Lieutenant, what are they like? She's a... Uh, Strict, yep, has definitely made me fly laps like multiple times when I mouthed back at her. But uh, she's fair. She's fair. She's a strict, fair woman. So get shit done and you'll be on the good side? Yeah, exactly. Yep. On compliments with probably just a good, singularly? Yeah, I, w I would say, I would say compliments were uh, like very truthful observations. Uh. And based on how Abasi is describing Xinying Rafiq, you can't help but think of Artemis. Yep. It's just like flashing in your head. Uh, Sayer looks back at the crescent blades in his hands and he goes, oh yeah, I'm familiar, don't worry. Uh, yeah, let's, let's speak to the Lieutenant. Um, up there, uh, yeah, so the lieutenant commander is on a, uh, a floating platform a couple dozen feet above your heads, mm -hmm. right? So you would have to fly to get up to her probably. And Abasi looks at you and then you see her eyes map a uh, path that you could potentially jump through if you were like had a really strong vault. You could like vault from platform to platform to get up there. I would say she'd be more inclined to part with a pair of spares if you prove yourself first. And getting up there without wings? I'd say that's pretty wing-worthy. Mm. Is that the lieutenant's there or is that an Abasi there? Listen, I'm just watching out for you, Sayer, mm -hmm. okay? And I know exactly how the lieutenant commander thinks, mm -hmm. and I'm just telling you what she would think, so. Also, I think it'd be pretty funny if you were hopping around like a frog while the rest of us vaulted around you. I don't know about frog. Uh, and Sayer uh, brandishes the uh, crescent blades out like he is going to be ready to hook them. And Connie, let's fucking vault. Let's show okay, Abasi how it's done. Okay, let's go. Yes, okay. That's going to be iron or teeth, I would say. Oh, yeah. As an edge. I'm going to take teeth because Sayer's wanting to show off a little bit. Uh, and yeah, I'll take a vote. So that is, uh, and I'm using my crescent blades, how Sayer's planning on doing this is that he's going to charge at full momentum, swinging his crescent blades, and he's going to use them as little pythons that he's going to be able to scale upward oh, and yeah. move. Ooh. Into it, into it. Make that roll, baby. That's 3d6 for me, baby. All right. Don't forget, you got those autocrits. <laughs> oh, that's fine. I got a five and a four and a four. So that is a... 
That's a conflict. conflict with a twist. I'll take it. That is a conflict with a twist. You want to take yeah, it? Okay. I'll take it. Okay, success with a drawback. Okay. So what does it look like as you're like leaping from boulder to boulder? Mm -hmm. uh, so Sayer, I think hearing Abbasi mention uh, leaping like a frog, and he says, I, and he mentions that he does not think about it being like a frog. He just leaps upward and it looks like he's not going to make it. He's falling a little short grabs onto the stone and flips outward using that momentum and it just keeps yeah. going and that is uh he's just running through this like he would a trans circuit and in his mind's eye he sees those rooms of deep blues and purples the white stone of the floor the images of a training oracle as he's bobbing and weaving and swinging between all of these parapets of stone around him. Into it. So it's a success. You do manage to get to the Lieutenant Commander's floating dais, but here's the drawback. On the second to last dais, as you launch yourself upward and Abbasi's flying next to you, like laughing, kind of goading you a bit, being like, huh, you know, that's actually pretty elegant for a frog, but still a frog, ribbon, ribbon, ribbon. And she's like twisting around in midair and then lands like two seconds before you land right next to her in front of the Lieutenant Commander. As you launch off of that penultimate platform, you dislodge it from where it's floating in midair. Your kick is so strong that you move it and it slams into someone who's like flying by, it hits them. And their wings, which are these kind of like red-tailed hawk-like wings kind of crumple against their body. They let out a oof and they start to tumble like down, like kind of knocked a little astray. Mm -hmm. I do notice that, right? You do. Connie, you know you know what I'm gonna do, right? Connie, you know me. You know what I'm gonna do, right? I'll let you attempt it. Yep. All right. Sayer sees that, and I think without any concern for where he is going, realizes that he's hurt someone, and that they're tumbling, mm. and he's broken their devices. And he sees a flash of Zainan's green eyes in his mind. And mid-swing, he turns backwards and then dives down to try and catch them. You have no wings. Okay, I yeah. don't have wings, but someone's falling and it's my fault. Yep. You dive down. You hear Basti go, so here. You dive past, like not a care in the world for your own safety, and you manage to catch this person. As you catch this person, they're kind of like a felt person with these tapered ears, this mop of curly uh, brown hair. They look a little out of it, they're bruised a bit, and their their gauntlets are definitely broken. Like that rock just shattered it completely. They're letting out a ugh, and they seem like halfway conscious from how hard the rock hit them. And you're tumbling, you're falling. Mm -hmm. You're falling 10 feet, 15 feet, and then you feel something uh, lash around your ankle, and you like, draw taut like a pendulum and you start to swing, right? As some kind of rope or some kind of string or something has gotten its way around your foot and is now slowly hoisting you back up. And all of the flying warriors nearby have like, like paused mid flight or have like stopped on nearby landings to look, right? As you're being hoisted up, 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 all the way up to the Lieutenant Commander's floating dais, where you see she has produced a whip that she'd caught you with and had single-handedly, despite her rather narrow frame, hoisted you up and onto the platform. I think throughout the being drawn up by the whip, Sayer's just like muttering to the person who's half-conscious, 
Like, I'm so sorry. Just hang on. And he like grabs onto the the whip to keep steady, so that he can mo use most of his strength to hold this other person close to him. And as he emerged on the other side, yep. Uh, and he just kind of like crouches, kind of like waiting to see if they, the person in his arms, regains consciousness, or preparing himself for the very understandable reprimand. If this person's anything like Artemis, he knows those eyes. The Lieutenant Commander, no nonsense, just says very calmly, Joke, get Mina to the med ward. You, stand. And someone like lands nearby, like nods and scoops this person, Mina, out of your arms and then using one arm to fly, like kind of flaps off to the side. Sayer stands up and approaches. These very sharp, piercing black eyes appraise you. This person, I think you cannot help but compare her to Artemis in your head, is shorter than Artemis, maybe by a head or two, is actually quite slight. Narrow, again, but with like surprising muscle and with a tapered build, so broad shoulders and like a, a narrow kind of waist. Looks at you, while still staring at you, addresses a bossy. Princess Zahar, please enlighten me. Why did you bring a wingless, non-sky warrior into the midst of an active training regimen. You better have a good answer. And at that, she finally turns her eyes over to Abasi, who like stands stock still. And Sayer, you get the sense that Abasi is slipping back into her like old training habits right in front of her like old commander. She's like, <laughs> stock still. Uh, <clears throat> Lieutenant Commander Xinying Rafik, sir. Uh, I, I, this is, <clears throat> this is Sayer. Uh, he is one of the wild sailors, not a sky warrior, though I think he'd make a pretty good one in hummingbird wings. Never mind. Uh, he's one of the wild sailors that brought me safe and sound back to the Raya. And he was hoping to maybe train with us. And Abasi trails off at all of the other sky warriors now, like, staring at you. It's not the princess's fault. I ask. The responsibility is mine. Those sharp, piercing eyes flick back to you, Sayer, and appraise you. Hmm. What kind of wings would you like? Something that can help me move. I'm a hunter at heart. A hunter? Hmm. Now are those your words, or someone else's who taught them to you? Someone who has an image of me in their minds that I believe to be true. Well then, son, you better not let them down. And she lets out a kind of sharp whistle and someone flies next to her and deposits a pair of winged gauntlets uh, in her arms. She holds them out to you. And the feathers look to be, well, why don't you tell me? Why don't you tell me, Sayer, what kinds of feathers are on these gauntlets? They are deep black, like a cassowary's. And there is a space within the gauntlet that would be perfect for a dew claw for a hunter to pierce through. Ooh. And it is the perfect size for Sayer's hilt of his crescent blades. That's going to be the twist. You get to keep this. Uh, so this... Wait, really? Can you see this? Yes. Oh. Yeah. That's your twist. Yeah. This is a three track item. I'll send you the full stat block later, but these are your cassowary gauntlets. And with these, you can fly if you have them on. Hell yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Amazing. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sorry, that's Val being very excited. I love that. 
Sayer finally gets a dub. <laughs> Sayer finally gets a win. <laughs> finally gets a win. <laughs> yeah, hands them to you, right? As you hold these and they look like they were like they were made for you almost, right? It's almost like too perfect. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. The previous owner of these gauntlets. Well, let's just say she upgraded to another pair when these didn't fit her anymore. I think they would fit someone like you. It's an honor to wield these. Thank you. Treat them well, and they'll treat you well in turn. Understood, sir. Uh, and I think he puts them on, and he flexes to show off the wings, and then tenses back, and he sees the way the crescent blades sit in his palm. And he looks up towards the lieutenant, and there's a reminder of why he is here, really, other than just training. And he looks towards the lieutenant and says, Sir, if I may be if I may be bold to ask Again, twice in the same minute. I understand within seconds of meeting me. Abasi, you keep interesting company. I will allow you to speak, and only on the same condition that I'm gifting you these gauntlets. Because you, without a care for your own safety or life, without a pair of wings of your own, hopped off of this platform to save the life of a stranger. That is worth something in my book. So speak. Thank you, sir. I will not waste your time with indirect fails. I would like to speak of King Masu. What are the rest of you gawping at? You have your circuits to complete. And at that, everyone else like, Ooh, like they go back to flying and they're no longer staring at eavesdropping and looking. And the beating of wings muffles your conversation as you, Abasi, and the Lieutenant Commander can hold this discussion in peace, despite the busy arena around you. She lets in a deep breath. And when she exhales, she looks over at Abasi, who kind of sets her jaw in a serious manner. Um, yes, Lieutenant Commander, we, we were told that maybe you would have some information about my father that no one else might. Uh, Sayer, go ahead. It has been told to us that the king has been struggling with some sort of change in temperament. And Sayer says that with also a bit of darkness where he's trying to be, he's putting on the mask of Lumira and Zainan and Singh in trying to be delicate about this. But I think someone who is as uh, piercing and analytical as the uh, lieutenant would know that he he means that this is concerning and dangerous and dark. Yes, yes. I was told that you, his right hand, would know more about this. And I want, I respect your opinion, sir. Now having met you. I am Lieutenant Commander Jinying Rafiq. I'm the Lieutenant Commander of the Sky Warriors of Thuraya. Like Admiral Sahim Kubra, I answer only to King Masu Zahar and him alone. King Zahar takes title of Commander of the Sky Warriors. As such, I interact with him more than even the Admiral does, given that he himself flies the skies as a scout and as a ranger. I've known him for a very, very long time, and I count him as one of my closest friends. That said, it is no secret among the royals of the palace that, you are right, a dark mood has taken over my friend. My leader, my confidant, and my companion. 
as far as I am concerned, is no longer here. The man that has been locking himself away in his quarters, in his study, in his bedroom, is not the man that I have come to respect and love. There's something else. Something dark. Something... And a look of deep concern casts a shadow over Lieutenant Commander's face. Violent. A kind of violent intention and desire, I think, that has come over the king. <sighs> Seer, violence, power, strength, in and of themselves, I believe are morally neutral. It is not the violence that is evil, it is what we do with it that counts. Your power can easily be used to help someone in need as it can be to strike someone down. King Masu, Zahar has known this his whole life. He has championed these values, but the way he has been acting of late makes me think that his core values are somehow becoming lost. It's been making him a, frankly, and I am aware of how seditious this sounds, but frankly, an irresponsible commander of the Sky Warriors. Typically, it is he who oversees these training sessions personally, but he has been neglecting his duties. Even before then, he has been leaving the lion's share of everything I have to do to keep the Sky Warriors running all to me. I'm doing two people's jobs at once. I have been stationed behind here in the Raya while the second lieutenant, Ura Jem, was sent out to command our Sky ships and the contingent of Sky Warriors sent out for the war effort. The King has asked for an elite strike team of Sky Warriors to remain here in the Raya to guard the palace in case, in his words, the other Reaches attempted mounting an assault on these Sky Palaces. His paranoia knows no bounds nowadays. And I fear I... I fear I may have failed preventing this dark mood in the first place. It's not too late, sir. If this is your assessment, then I trust that your assessment is true. What does it look like, this darkness, in the quiet moments between you both? How does it manifest? It is... It is like looking... Looking into the face of someone you love and seeing their worst parts take hold. The darkest parts of them that you always knew were there, but that they've simply let devour themselves. I believe there is light and darkness in each of us, Seir. My king has let the darkness prosper. For whatever reasons, I know not. But I may know, if not the exact cause, then when it began. Please, tell me. There was a routine scouting mission a couple months back to the far west of our holdings, on the very edges of our ground-level protectorates. Myself and a handful of other Sky Warriors went with the king himself to investigate the very first rumors of what we now call the Calamities. There was some kind of massive oil spill, I believe. The scouting party split up to cover more ground. My group didn't find anything, but King Maswu went off on his own. When we reconvened at the end of the mission, he looked different. But he said that he didn't find anything either, and I took him at his word he had never lied to me before. We were scouting by the plunge, a protectorate that borders Siren Song's territories. It is a settlement built on an ocean of debris, partly split by a deep, dangerous chasm that extends well into the depths of the tangle. Wait, and Sayer will look over to Abasi. That's 
Is that the region we were just in? Uh, no, no, that's not the region we were just in, but the plunge, it sounds so familiar. Oh, that Captain Lady's report, I think she mentioned mm. Yes, that's what it is. And, and wait, you said oil. Yes, there were reports of a great oil spill by the plunge. I was able to confirm visual truth of this spill. We didn't fly too close because that area is very volatile, but we saw nothing else out of the ordinary. King Maswu went off to explore a different part of the plunge. Mm. Sayer's expression darkens as he grips his fist, tightening around his own hand. We've noticed these calamities as well. Mm. A similar situation, a stampede of oil-slicked animals. I'm not surprised. If you've been wild sailing for any amount of time in the past couple of months, surely you've run into one or two calamities at least. Forgive me, sir. May I speak plainly? Have you not been this whole time? Speak. I think the king is in great danger. If my suspicions are correct, we need to intervene as soon as he is able to leave the sanctuary of his study. Hmm. I need to see this darkness for myself. I think I know what it is. Do you now? Well then, I look forward to seeing you at the farewell banquet. Sir. In the meantime, if you want to be any use of anyone at all, you better learn how to use these. And her eyes flick down to the gauntlets. Yes, sir. I promise that I'll work hard to earn these gauntlets you have given me. Hmm. Abasi? Time to kick the young sparrow out of the nest. Ha <laughs> ha! I thought you'd never ask. Hey, Sayer. Mm -hmm. Press that button over there and that button over there, and let me know when you're ready. Ready. You press the buttons, and these beautiful black feathers whoosh, whoosh, fan out on either side of your body. Uh, and then Abasi kicks you off of the platform. She just raises a boot and just kicks you. Sayer falls backwards, and he just yells at Abasi. I didn't think you meant it literally! And he will spread his wings out to try and get, <laughs> learn how to fly and take advantage of the winds. Yeah, I think as the two of you, she just like drops next to you and starts flying a lot more elegantly than you, right? As you're twisting and turning. And as you fly and fly and fly, a bossy lets out a big whoop. Uh, and as she does twirls around you, right? She's just kind of like literally flying circles around you. She says, anyway, I was thinking, now that we're both flying, mm -hmm. of, you know, maybe asking your sister to the banquet? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it seemed that you both were pretty close. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, you think so? I, you think I should do it? Yeah. What's, yeah, go ahead. You don't need my permission for it, certainly. Oh, great. Awesome. I was just wondering if you noticed if she was maybe into me as well. And she like swoops and does like a cartwheel around you. Uh, she seems that way. He says that, and he does genuinely believe that, but he also knows that sings a flirt. And he kind of like looks up at uh, Abasi and just goes, what about Amarjin? <laughs> and Abasi just says, what? we're not, I, we're, we're nemeses. And on that, we cut to the Hanging Gardens. The Hanging Gardens of Aminu Isle bloom from the tiered terraces of the sandstone palace. They are comprised of granite balconies bursting with sapphire waterfalls, miniature lakes, and of course, gorgeous plant life of all kinds. You see thick green clusters of sycamore fig trees, broad spindly fronds of date palms, the rattling brown husks of carib pods. 
you also see the more eccentric plants of the wild sea. Clusters of crabweed flex their pincer-like stems sprouting from intentionally rotted planks of wood. Thick tufts of surgeon's moss sprout from the roots of tall ironroot trees. Phosphor blossoms glow along the gurgling brook that winds throughout the gardens and falls to multiple terraces through miniature waterfalls. You even see an octodew in full bloom. A tentacled mass of sundew-like stems topped with bristling red filaments. A rich green bulb sits in the center of its filament-topped limbs. And information about each plant is proudly displayed on small metal cards. Next to a towering Saint Bloom tree, Lumira. You and Sing, as you enter the gardens, you see the garden's caretaker. A person with light brown skin, long purple hair, and sturdy green overalls. Their left arm and their right leg are made of mossy wood, and one of their eyes is a blooming orchid. Their face is soft and slender with a gentle but intense expression, as they're currently sprinkling handfuls of a fine white powder on the bark of this tree. Lumira, you and Sing, I think, are on an upper platform overlooking this beautiful garden of all kinds of plants and delicious smells. I think Lumira is, she of course has her notebook with her. And I think as she, in like a little satchel as well, and as she like goes to different plants, she's like thoroughly like reading the like little note cards that are there, drawing like quick little doodles of them in her in her notebook, like copying down pertinent information from the, the note cards. If she happens to find like any that like not picking any of them, but any that have already like fallen or, or wilted and like are laying down in the grass, uh, she'll pick those up and kind of press them into each page of her book. Singh actually notices that, right? As she sees, I think, a beautiful black and white flower that's fallen to the ground. She stoops down and picks it up and hands it to you for your book. Here you go, Lumi. You know, I actually think I saw a pick your own uh, area over there if you wanted to keep a couple of these. I don't want to cause any problems here saying I'm just here to observe. It's called pick your own. I think they want you to pick your own. For like other people, maybe not for just Come us. Come on, we're other people. Come on, it'll be fun. If we get in trouble, I'm blaming this all on you. And I'll talk us out of it like I always do. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You and that mouth. Uh, <laughs> she's going to walk over <laughs> to uh, <laughs> the pick your own. Yeah, Sing's really excited. So as you walk over, she actually brushes her hand against yours and is like tugging you along playfully, intertwining her fingers with yours. Do you let her? Yes, but my hand is so clammy and so... (laughs) (laughs) Yep, cold and clammy it is. Yep. Yeah, just like... (laughs) Into it, yeah. She, she takes your fingers and like drags you forward to this beautiful little covered, I think there's a greenhouse area here for temperature controlled plants. And then like several rows of various vegetables and fruits and flowers. And like, you just start walking amongst these rows and like picking your own. There's a little wicker basket out front for you to like 
put stuff in it and whatever you you pick and can fit in a basket you can keep right so i think we find the two of you walking between these trellises and rows of these gorgeous looking wild sea blooms as you just kind of walk and talk with your uh she has to let go of your hand so unless you let go first you're gonna stay holding I think for a while we stay holding hands before uh, I get that realization like, huh, this has been too long and like separate and then like immediately go back to like using both hands actively to yeah, yeah, pick so it's flowers. Not yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like you're like, okay, one hand on the basket, one hand picking. All right, yeah. let's go. Like, let's do, go. Do, do, do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> these are so beautiful, aren't they? Saying, look at these ones. They're pink like your eyes um and these ones are really really nice um they're nice too this is so isn't this is nice this this is real nice this is nice are you saying this out loud (laughs) (laughs) this is real nice this this is this is nice this is so so nice If Singh is picking up on your sudden abundance of nerves, she doesn't let it show. She doesn't tease you or anything like that. She just kind of keeps walking with you and nods and says along to you, it is nice. Yeah, this place is nice. It is very nice. It's beautiful. Lumira, this place, the wild sea, it's just so gorgeous. Ever since we zapped into the temple and out on the wild sea in the midst of the verdancy, I know all these calamities are happening and it broke my heart to see that strip mined area. But this world, Lumira, I get it. It is worth protecting. It is worth sacrificing for. It is worth fighting for. And we gotta help where we can. You know, so these beautiful flowers can keep blooming. And she plucks out a flower uh, that's golden and white and like puts it up next to your face. Lumira will take said flower because I think she's like crouched on the ground near another bush of roses or whatnot and she's trying her hardest not to make direct eye contact for a second until Singh displays a flower to her and uh, she'll stand up and kind of just like place the flower like right tuck it right behind her right ear and just be like you know when when we signed up for this, and she kind of like makes reference to being in a trans agent, they said that the places that we could go and see would be infinite and every place would be different. There were no one plane and two planes that were the same, but I don't know, I've been a lot of places, but there's been nothing like this. I know exactly how you feel. I mean, this is only Sayer and Mai's, like, fourth real mission. That's not a shadow. But even so, it's the first one where I I really feel like this place is just so magical. But truth be told, Lumira, even those other missions that I was on, as long as it was Nova, it felt really special because I got to spend time with my brother, of course, and it's really cool getting to know Zionin more, but I really missed you. And I'm really glad we get to, you know, be strike team members together. Yeah, me too, Zane. 
boy, look at these ones over here. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go off, you scuttle off. Uh, yep. And you start just, like, busying yourself with another bushel. Uh, but saying very casually and uh, intentionally walks over to where you are with her hands kind of tucked thoughtfully behind her back and you see a question on her face a question she looks a little nervous about asking in a way that's rather uncharacteristic to sing because sing is always so easy breezy beautiful casual you know like even when it comes to stuff like flirting she's always just been you know she's always just been flirting with whoever and she finds it fun she likes it but with you lumira it does feel different it feels really different something about it feels more real i suppose more intimate more vulnerable and sing pauses next to you with that unasked question on her face i uh Lumira, I was wondering if, uh... Did you... I, do you... Sorry, you go, you go, you go. So... Did... Did you want to go to the ball tonight? As friends. Friends. Like, two friends just going together to a dance together. Friends. Friends. I'm sorry, as what now? I didn't quite catch that. Um... You know what, actually, never mind. That was not... <laughs> Mira, I would love to go to the banquet with you. Uh, cool. And Lumira will turn around to the rose bush that had flowers that were pink, like Sing's eyes, and will pluck a couple right in between her uh, antlers. <laughs> yeah, as you turn and you put the flowers between her antlers. There's a moment of like quiet between the two of you as you're tucking these pink flowers in and they both blend into the cherry blossoms and stand out from them because of their unique shape. And Sing looks at you this entire time she's not stopped looking at you. Those intense, brilliant pink eyes are just boring into your gaze. Lumira. And suddenly she looks so serious, so real. I, I was hoping we wouldn't just go as friends. Acquaintances? A small smile <laughs> spreads on Sing's mouth, but those brilliant pink eyes stay locked onto yours. As a date? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That would, that would be very nice. Very, very nice, yeah. It is. Great! Lovely! Yes! I... Um... And there's a moment as Sing pauses and looks at you. And you... You know it. There's a, there's a gut feeling inside you, Lumira. She's gonna kiss you. There's a moment as the two of you are standing there. Uh, and there's this like... It feels like forever and it feels like no time at all. Sing leans in. And then both of you hear... Ah! The noble crabweed. <sighs> and right next to you is the gardener who's like crept up on both of you without you noticing. And their their face has jammed between the two of you and is looking at like a patch of moss next to the bushes of pink flowers. You know, they're my favorite plant. 
They're everywhere in the Verdancy, and most people think of them as a nuisance. But they're persistent survivors, you know? And most sailors try to hack them away or saw them off where their sh ship's bite gets caught in a bush of them. But really, just a light spray of white vinegar and a coating of tar around the hull will keep the crabweeds away and not hurt them either. Hello! Are you enjoying the pick-your-own-garden? I curated it myself. I call this aisle the Lover's Walk. This is, and I think Lumira is so weirdly relieved at the interruption. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, immediately just like relaxes almost. Like it was like that coiling up in her body posture for a second before she releases and goes, um, Actually, yes, I'm very intrigued with the any medicinal properties that you may have known or heard of of any of these exact plants in particular. The crabweeds? Well, in a pinch, I suppose they could work as an anticoagulant and a kind of bandage if you held it up to the aperture of a wound. But really, it's surgeon's moss that you want to staunch any kind of bleeding. That's where they got their name, surgeon's moss. The lowly, commonly found across all kinds of iron root Can trees all around. Just pluck a hand. To it, please, the surgeon's moss. I think that would be very useful. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, come along, you as well. You don't want to miss out on the Surgeon's Moss ex expedition we're now going on, apparently. Oh, what a day. What a marvelous day. Follow me. And the Lumira gardener will hold her hand out backwards for Sings. Though, Ooh, as yes. Sing was blinking a little bit and like had let out a little bit of a disappointed smile <laughs> as the gardener came, but now like rallies herself, takes your hand and hand in hand, stride in stride, you follow this gardener like down this aisle as they're leading you to the surgeon's moss. As they do, they continue to just like talk uh, openly and just honestly and candidly. And they say, you know, most people don't know this, but octodews can actually move, and very quickly at that. They are simple, patient, and difficult to shake off. They'll stalk their prey through the thrash, blending into the rest of the vegetation until the night falls, the bulb opens into a beak, and bam, they strike and you die instantly. It's beautiful. You know, we only have one octodew. The queen won't approve another because they get territorial, but she's a total sweetheart. Her name's Frilly, and she's 62 years old. My mother took care of her since she was a young girl, and now she's mine. Would you like to meet her? I just fed her, so there's no danger. And Lumira's eyes, like, cut over at Sings for a second. Yeah. Uh, sure, yeah. If, if yeah. Billy is on the way to the surgeon's moss, sure. That sounds lovely. Uh, you really love the plants here, don't you? I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. I'm Sing, and this is Lumira. You are? Oh, I'm Tamit. Tamit Sula. I'm the head gardener of the Raya at your service and the personal caretaker of the plant life of Ami New Isle. So you're very knowledgeable about everything that's around here. Yes, extremely. I was just taking care of the St. Bloom tree we have here. You know, St. Bloom seeds do need to be salted to render their parasitic qualities inert, but the St. Bloom seeds of the Raya have their symbiotic qualities nullified during the germination process through a rigorous application of salt into the bark of the tree twice a day, starting from when the tree is a sapling, which is what I was doing before I found the two of you almost kissing in the lover's walk. Did you happen to know any information um, on... Um, help me out sing, uh, um, that. The, the, uh, the plants of the verdancy below. Y yeah. You have so many 
plants here in the in the gardens, the hanging gardens. They're beautiful, by the way. But we're wild sailors, you see. We're not sky warriors of any kind. Um, I assume these plants up here can also be found down in the wild sea? Yes, you would be correct in that uh, ass uh, assumption. Yes. All of the plants up here in the hang gardens were originally from the wild sea. You know, 300 years ago when the uh, guide of body created the floating isles of the Raya, the plants that were there were lifted up into the sky. And now the plant life up here, the indigenous ones, have adapted to these sky high altitudes and conditions, but much of them came from the Verdant Sea originally. Though it's probably good that we're up in the sky now because the plants have been telling me that they're worried about their grounded brethren. Are they saying anything in particular? Oh, all the time. That they're hungry, that there are bees on them, they'd rather have this kind of fertilizer instead of that kind of fertilizer, that they don't like those plants over there, they'd like to be repotted, they're quite needy. I mean, anything like fear for their lives, danger, anything that they've seen that is threatening? Oh, yes, they speak of the black amber. The black amber. Spilled by the roaring men. The roaring men. Do they give any more information on them in particular? And I have asked because it is rather unusual for them to talk about things that aren't immediately related to their caretaking or how the wind is today or that there might be a storm coming or this or that or this or that. I have asked, but that's all they really say. They seem scared. I saw something earlier on my way here that really worried me. Oh, yes? And then Lumira will go into like very descriptive detail of the oil slicks and whatever was swimming underneath the ship itself, but leaves out how the ship reacted to it. Just mm. that it was mm -hmm. very odd. Oh, oh my. Oh, that's not, that's not good at all. Oh, those poor, poor plants of the wild sea. If I could, I would lift every single piece of vegetation of the verdancy below and carry them up to the skies myself so they would be safe up here forevermore. But alas, I am no scion of body. I'm just a lowly head gardener. But that is awful. Strip mined like that. Terrible. I can't imagine. Those poor plants. The oil. That does sound like the black amber that the plants are talking about. You know, they have no barometer for things outside of their own contextual experience. They don't really know what blood is, just crescent and amber. So it's very likely they would call oil the black amber. I don't know what the roaring men could be, though. Perhaps a mm, triforodon screeching? But they know what triforodons are. They like them. Except for the ones that are eaten by the triforodons. They hate them. Thank you. You're very welcome. And I'm so, oh, it breaks my heart to hear of what you went through. <sighs> Can you make me a promise? Will you promise to, to take care of the plants down there when you go back? I can't, you see, I have to stay up here and I like it, I don't mind it, but I wish I could, I wish I could save every plant that's ever lived. That's why I'm just a carnivore. May I speak freely with you? Of course. Lumira will step closer. And with a very serious look on her face, just say, My specific job here is to heal. I am more pertinent than I think most of anyone on my team. How important nature is to the cycle of life. And in order for it to respect us, we also have to pay our respects as well. You not only have my word as a person, 
but you also have my word as it is my job to do so and respect all life as is. Thank you. Lumira, was it? Of course, yes. And you are Sing. I've heard of the two of you. Thank you. Anyway, here's the surgeon's moss. How many pounds would you like? We might be here for a while. Let's probably grab about three or four. Do you have up to five? Can we carry five? Is it heavy? I'll give you 15. Even better. And, yep, to me, bends down and starts just, like, ripping moss out of, like, the the roots of, like, a, a bark. And, like, you hold out your basket along with Sing for them to start just piling it in. And I think on that, right, on all of these scenes, the day ends, the sun kisses the clouds, painting the horizon a deep, brilliant crimson before dipping beneath the mist. Light fades from the sky, so does heat, so does warmth. Rising into the heavens are the twin moons, unsheltered by clouds, casting a cold, chilling glow over the floating islands of the Raya. We find the four of you now in the royal palace, being led down a vast, vaulted corridor by Abasi. You're passing through the area closest to the king's private sanctum, and the halls are quiet and abandoned, especially compared to other parts of the Raya. Abasi is in high spirits. The ride with Squall and the little sparring session with Seir put color and enthusiasm back into her cheeks, despite all the strange goings on with her father. The left side of this corridor is supported by pillars, with gaps that reveal a breathtaking garden. The right side is made of sturdy sandstone, dotted by granite vestibules with shrines in them. Each shrine is decorated with a carving of the same person, a barrel-chested, strong-armed woman in mid-flight, arms stretched, mechanical wings spread out behind her. And Abasi is excitedly talking as she leads your party down this hallway. She's walking backwards. We've got the best guest quarters in the entire Wild Sea. Seriously, the beds are so comfortable and we've got a great view of the hanging gardens and, oh, and Abasi stops walking and whirls around, and it very quickly becomes evident why. Because standing in front of the closed doors to King Maswu's study is a small, slender person, draped in elegant robes. Their hands are clasped in front of their waist, and they are staring very intensely at the closed doors to King Maswu's study. They're not moving. They're not speaking, they're just standing there, staring. This is Him Su Hyun, the scion of mind and the prin of Chong Sin's surge. And as all of you approach, they turn to look at you with kind of pale, washed out, but strangely intensely focused eyes. And they say, oh, hello, don't mind me, I'm just trying to read the king's mind through this door, but it's not going very well because I can't see his eyes. This episode was edited by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our original intro theme music is by Jonathan Charles. Transplaner RPG is supported by our incredible Patreon precepts. Folks pledge to our highest tier on Patreon. A massive thank you to... Charles, 
Cora Eckert, Brooke Bright, River, Chiacres, Lex Slater, Scrofasis, Hat, Alex, Mark J, Lyle and Peanut, Spencer, Brooke in Seattle, Aria, Derek Davidson, Phil, Jordan, Cassidy, and Rose. Pledge to our Patreon today for as little as $3 a month to unlock exclusive news, character sheets, GM notes, and even the chance for your tabletop OC to cameo in our show. Until next time, Transplay Nerds!